0: Each generation, through its trials and its triumphs, valleys and plateaus, provides a trove of lesson for the generations that follow them. The fight for equity is endless, always requiring us to innovate and preserve simultaneously. We advance by building on the work of those who've
1: gone before us, and many of them are still among us to put us on game. Gin Activist is an intergenerational podcast presented by Rosa Rebellion, a platform for creative activism by and for women of color. We are setting a table for intergenerational dialogue and collective disruption.
2: Imagine It is a historical digital archive remastered for contemporary use and permanent preservation. These are our stories told by us, for us. So, get hyped for your co hosts, Rosa Rebellion co founders Virginia Cumberbatch, myself, Megan Harding, and the matriarch of Virginia's maternal family and the anchor of this podcast, someone we affectionately call G Mom, Dr. Sylvia Russo. We're super excited today because we have our first Gen Z guest and it is the amazing Michaela Ulmer. You might know her from Me and the Bees Lemonade. And I just wanna take a moment to introduce her to you. So at 11 years old, Michaela Omer started building a lemonade empire and hoping to save honeybees in the process. It all started when Michaela was four years old and she was stung by a bee twice in one week. And you'll hear more about that later. This is when she set her mind to create a product to help save bees. She decided she would sell lemonade and she started her company, Meat and the Bees Lemonade. Her special lemonade recipe came from her great-grandmother's cookbook. She decided to add honey to it instead of sugar in order to call attention to the problems honeybees face. Now at age 16, her little idea from more than 10 years ago continues to grow and grow and is a national brand. Today, the award-winning Ready to Drink Me and the Bees Lemonade can be found on the shelves at Select Whole Foods Markets and Target, as well as many restaurants and other locations near her home in Austin, Texas.
1: And I'm really excited personally to invite Michaela into this conversation, not just because she's holding it down for the Gen Z voices, but... Um, I've just had the wonderful opportunity to watch her grow up close and some of you might Remember her name from a little show called Shark Tank, which she won at just 11 years old. Um, But I think what's really incredible is Michaela really sits at this intersection of environmental activism, racial justice, and she's doing all of this through the lens of a high schooler. And so we're really excited to just be in conversation with her, bring her into our virtual living room to really give us a glimpse into the ways in which we as millennials and as a part of the greatest generation can continue to co-labor with these incredible young voices who are staking their claim um, around the landscape, the cultural landscape of America. And so uh,
0: we hope you enjoy this episode. So Michaela, finally we meet and I've been looking forward to meeting you. And I'm especially looking forward to meeting you because I was a high school principal for many years and a school superintendent. And nothing refreshes me more than a young person who is aware as you are about who you are in the world, and that you see yourself at a very early age as having an impact on the world. So I'm really eager to hear more from you. Uh, And so from the perspective, either one, so you're a student and you are an entrepreneur, and you're uh, an environmentalist, my goodness, that's quite a resume at this age. So which of those would you like to share with us more uh, and how those three roles kind of interact for who you are?
3: Got it. So, I mean, I think you hit the first part. I wear a lot of hats. I learned that as an entrepreneur, you have to wear a lot of hats, especially me, because I have to balance, you know, being a teenager when you hang out with friends. Uh, having a business and also writing a book along with that and then also um, being a student and going to school every day and i'm sure as a high school professor or high school principal um, previous high school principal i know you know that high school can be hard especially junior year which i had just finished and so um i think i forgot the question nice. I think it's pretty good. If you wanted to tell open us
1: ended. a little bit about your origin story, like yeah. how you come into me. And tell feet.
0: us a little more about the different hats you wear. <laughs> got it. So I guess
3: I started with more of a student or learning side. So that was the hat I was wearing the most. And um, there was a toy that I wanted from my cousin. Uh, She had a similar toy. I wanted something just like it. My parents said, I guess I used it as a teaching opportunity. They said, we're not going to get it for you straight away. You're going to have to earn some money and either do more chores around the house or try to find something to sell. And so i decided i have enough chores already i'm gonna find a way i'm gonna find a way to earn this money and i tried selling wildflowers and play-doh balls i tried selling friendship bracelets that were eh, okay looking i don't think a lot of them did really well i I did it in front of stands in my house and i realized that in order for you to like sell a product has to be something that people want and so that was one lesson I learned pretty early on and so I remember touring a kindergarten um, and seeing a sign for a business fair and I asked my parents my mom explained that a business fair is an event where kids can come up with ideas and sell their product for a day and so I think I got really interested and curious about that and decided I wanted to sign up and so I had the summer to come up with something. I got a cookbook for my great granny Helen from the 1940s, and it had her favorite recipe for flaxseed lemonade. And this this cookbook was like so tattered. The cover was falling off. All the pages were yellowed. It had ingredients that I hadn't even heard of, like lard and things <laughs> like that. And so. I guess my dad realized hey this could this could be kind of like a hidden gym and we tried the flaxseed made recipe and it turned out pretty tasty so i was like hmm this could be something that people want it's pretty healthy and they taste good and then something happened i think like maybe one month later later on that summer i got stung by a bee in my ear and then less than a week later i got stung by another bee and so that was pretty scary as a four and a half year old and I decided I wanted to be afraid of the bees. And so once again, my parents, I guess, put that learning hat back on and they said, okay, instead of being afraid of them, why don't you do a little bit of research? And so like, I watched animated videos, I read picture books and I realized, hey, the bees are really important in their dying mm-hmm. alarming rate. And that became an interest of mine and something I was really curious about. And so me and the bees was like a combination of all those different aspects into an interesting business idea of lemonade sweetened with honey, a flaxy lemonade sweetened with honey, where I donated a portion of the proceeds to organizations that were helping the bees. And this was literally just for a
2: business fair. Wonderful. I love that. That's really cool. So you said you got the cookbook from your great great grandmother Helen
3: yes i did it was it was sent to us she always sketched in her own recipes so the flaxseed lemonade was one of her own and um i think there was a little bit of a little bit of respect upon seeing that from my parents because they thought that oh flaxseed is something that's new it's upcoming like it's trendy now they didn't know that back in the 1930s 40s people were making lemonades out of it and
2: so they were pretty surprised about that I love that because like as an intergenerational podcast like that right there is like the the personification of everything that like we're trying to do here as well. Like the idea that, you know, you would get something from your great great grandmother and then it turned into something that's um, remixed um, and and you're able to like use it to bring environmental justice and to really um, connect it to all these different things is just like, I don't know. I think that's super cool. That's like very powerful. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I also love that it's like, think about it. You kind of took the one of the most like quintessential, I guess, quote unquote, American things like a lemonade stand, right? Like a kid selling lemonade. And and now you've turned it into so much more than that, right? There's a message behind it. And there's there's all types of things that you're doing that are, that doors have opened because of that. So that's also really cool. And it's really cool to see you doing that as like a Black woman. I feel like every image of like a lemonade stand that I've seen or majority of them is like these little white kids, which is fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But to see you be able to do it as a young Black um, girl is is pretty powerful um, as well. And so I guess like, you know, related to that, I wanna ask you this, you are part of a generation that, you know, seems pretty fearless um I, th- I think even though the beast stung you and you might have been scared for a while the idea that you had um you know the presence of mind and and, and the belief that you could you know turn this into a business is was, was really cool And i think that that's like fearlessness and it's in and of itself um but also there's other things right like we we see the stance that your generation is taking on gun control or civil rights or equity um and inclusion, um, you know, y'all seem to have more tools um, at your disposal to ensure that your voices are heard. I think um, I remember like Gen Z paid for like a billboard to follow like a Senator around the state for at, like every stop um, to, to talk about gun control. And so like, I, I was like, that's genius. I mean, like, <laughs> like to think about that and so I guess, like, where do you see yourself in this generation of movement makers and bold voices? And um, what has sustained your fight to su- to save the bees over the last ten years? Um, thinking about, you know, all of those issues and how, you know, you obviously can't do everything, right? So, so where do you feel like you see yourself in the movement? I,
3: I mean, I think I'm just part of the wave. There's a there's a lot going on, and, and our generation is faced with um things being you know put on us like wow you guys are going to fix climate change you guys are going to fix school shootings you guys are like there's a lot of things that are going to impact us and also the solutions are kind of kind of thrust in our like expectations of solutions are thrust in our face and so uh we can either accept that okay you know, the state of the environment in the world isn't great right now, there's nothing we can do about it, or we can realize this is how this is going to be the world that we live in as we grow up, and future generations. And so let's try to make it better. And so I think that's a stance that so many people in my generation are taking. And that's why we're seeing new businesses, social businesses specifically, new nonprofits, new school clubs, like social media pages, like people using whatever voices that they have to lift the voices of others. And it's not just, it's not just the environment and civil rights. It's literally things, international issues, um, home issues, things that, we're normally kind of swept under the rug or not considered a mainstream problem we're able to pull that into the mainstream bring it into social media feed and put it um, on the top of people's minds and so i'm happy that i'm able to be a part of that with my problem i f- i feel like i'm a source of inspiration for other people to find a problem that they're interested in and do what they can to help save it but or to help solve it but I'm also quite inspired by all these other people—not just young people, but other people making changes in the world and positive ones. And so I think that that's that's one of the things that sustains me or keeps me going. Is like I know that there's people who are who are willing to learn, who are willing to help out and pitch out, and who are interested in this. And um, and so I want to keep doing it for them. And I see. I see like when kids learn about the bees or learn about a bee fact, their eyes literally like bright and they're like, Oh, I didn't know this. Or when a bee stings me, it dies after. So they only sing out of protection. I had no clue. So I get to see immediately what my work does, but also I keep on going because I'm realizing that there's a whole other side to this story and a whole other side of this fight that's kind of going against us. Like there's, for example, one of the reasons why, specific species of bees, like wild and native bees, are declining is because of increased use, uses of pesticides and habitat mm-hmm. loss. And so um, realizing that government action is being stalled because of private interest and you know lobbyists trying to make sure that these pesticides can stay in the market so they don't lose sales. And so first, at first, it seems like, okay, the bees are dying. But then you realize when bees die, crop production decreases that means prices in stores decreases um when pesticides are used you have the option of you know organic or inorganic who's able to like we learned that pesticides and some of the chemicals are linked to learning disabilities and um delayed growth so who is able to afford the the crops that are clean and free from that and get safety based on that like I'm realizing how much of what we do every day is relying on something even small as like fuzzy little bees. And so um, things like teaching kids about the bees, um, protesting different pesticide uses, even though it seems like a small a small problem, it's part of something pretty big. and that's for sure something that keeps me going is like, hey, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And I think we just all got like a biology
1: lesson, a nature walk <laughs> all in 5 minutes which is just it's so wonderful to see just the passion and just a little insight knowledge to those listening. I'm actually have the opportunity to be sitting next to Michaela and interviewing her live. And so um just to see the passion and excitement in her eyes of knowing what her her in, her um her intrigue and curiosity has led to. And I think that's something that's really beautiful is that your curiosity, right, led you to creating impact. And that's also what continues to drive you.
3: And before curiosity, it was fear. uh, It
1: was fear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fear (laughs) to
3: curiosity, to
1: understanding. mm -hmm. And the understanding, I think, what is really inspirational to, to us is that you recognize that it's a micro- um a micro problem right that's connected to this larger landscape right it's not just the bee population that's connected to how we grow our food and growing our food we all know impacts our community health and as we think about the history of black and brown people particularly those who have lived in um food deserts around our country right where they have access to foods and the health around those foods is the vital part um, of how we're able to sustain our communities and so the fact that you have made those connections is not just brilliant but i think really exciting um and that you're a part of educating your peers right around this history and around these current conversations
3: thank you
0: uh, mikhail i wanted to ask you this question because it's so interesting listening to you i'm Just need to say I am thoroughly impressed (laughs) and I encounter, I've encountered young people and tried to create opportunities to learn for many, many years and you're very impressive. It raises a question in my mind about, I hear you talk about events in your life and how your parents responded to those events to help you make meaning out of them. And you also I mean, I think you just have a real bent towards scholarship too. that's what I hear you're in That's what scholarship is you're inquiring and you seek to know. So part of what I would say, I think you are positioned very uniquely uh, and I hope I'm explaining this question very well, but as a young black woman in a world that is very complex. And what I appreciate about you so much is that you understand the complexity of all these things. Um, so to what do you attribute your curiosity, which I call scholarship, um, and do you, in what way did, does your education from your parents intersect, intersect with your education in school? Uh, and uh, how does one inform the other uh, and uh, maybe explain that, how you make meaning of what you're experiencing in school. Curriculum isn't always exciting, and and yet we need it. How do you, uh, as this unique human being, attribute part of who you are to your parents as ed- educating you and also education in a school that may not be necessarily geared toward people who look like you?
3: Yes, that's a, that's a great question. And I'm, I'm looking forward to answering it for any people my age or people going through high school and like, what, what are you learning this for? So I, I hope my answer is somewhat helpful for you guys as well. But um, my parents were, are probably the reason why me and the bees is a thing today. Why me and the bees is a national brand in 2300 stores and is like making an impact on the bees it's because when i was four and i said i want to start a lemonade stand they said okay how are you going to do that or when i was eight and i said i want to figure out how to bottle a product they said "Hmm, okay we don't know much about that how are you going to learn about that so they didn't shut down my ideas. There were times when my ideas weren't great. And (laughs) I got to learn about that myself and try something else, but they didn't shut it down. They didn't shut down just because of my age. Um, But let me kind of figure it out myself. And so um, whether it was just that and, and allowing me to try new things, and not shutting down those ideas, or even teaching me what they knew about business. Neither of them had experience um, in the beverage industry, but my dad taught me things that he learned from his job about finance and operations and like making a budget and being able to know that you should give and save and spend with your money. And he would all say in that order. Like my dad taught me that and I was able to use that with my business and also personally. And then my mom, she did marketing. And so she taught me about storytelling, the power of storytelling and how that's like, it's the story. It's the story that you tell, it's not the product that you sell. Um, She would also help me uh, be clear in my stories and whether it was presentations or interviews, she would help me work on that and make sure that I was answering questions, asking good questions and teaching well. And so, I think also just the business, being able to start and grow the business, I've learned a lot. And so one thing that I've realized is that what I learned in school and what I learned in the business is so closely, it's pretty intertwined. And so I would realize that, like, I would be sitting in my math class and, you know, ad- adding or subtracting. And that would be just like behind the stand. Um, selling product and having to give out change. Or later I would be writing personal essays in English class and I would be, I would realize like the story arc is just like a presentation arc. And public speaking is something that's so important for conveying an idea or pitching a business idea. And so, or I guess not conveying an idea, but selling yourself or pitching a business idea. And so I realized, hmm, okay, I can use what I've learned in business in English class and what I'm learning in English class in business. Things like science and bio and chemistry, I was like, this is literally what food scientists are doing when when we're like creating new formulas for the lemonade. And so I think I was able to think of different careers that I may like to do and realize, okay, what I'm learning in school is, is somehow tied to that. And what I'm learning in business, I can use in my school life, I guess, or in my school curriculum. So I found that pretty interesting. And I think realizing that that even in school I'm learning and even in business I'm learning is one of the things that keeps me excited to learn, keeps me asking questions. And, um, yeah. I, I, love- I want to respond
0: to that. A li- oh, I'm sorry. I just want you to respond to that a little bit uh, because you know I'm always researching, I'm always trying to find out how people learn and what makes them learn. I have to do a presentation tomorrow on that. And what I hear from you is something extremely important is that you have a compatibility between what you're learning from your family and what school has to offer, so that you can create this intersection between school and family life um, and family life and community and all these ideas. So you are prepped almost to make meaning out of your experience in school because of what your parents are doing. So I want to ask you a question. So how do we spread that? And what do you think? I'm asking you for advice, right? I'm always thinking students have the best advice for how we learn. So how do we bridge that gap for students who do not have a home where these kinds of opportunities for learning are always presented and they're compatible with what you're learning in school? That's a mystery many of us educators are trying to answer. I'd love to know your opinion on that for reaching young people who don't have that intersection. That is a
3: great question, and I don't know if I have the answer, but I have a couple of things that I realized, and I didn't know this before. So, so one was um, one school. I think it was in Cleveland. It hosted a STEM festival, and they had different guest speakers, including me. There was a the roboticist. I think there was like the first female astronaut. Like they had these people talk at the school share their stories how they started in school started asking questions and realizing that all these doors weren't closed to them like they could do it as well and then she was showing how after after this conference like participation in clubs increased and how um like i guess school attendance rate also increased and just how kids were more curious so i think representation is, is honestly a big one and I'm, I'm glad to say that i'm able to be a part of that and that there's some that's like something that i can actually do is i can like i can actually be a source of representation in the business and entrepreneurial field not only as an african-american but also as a girl also as someone who's young so that's pretty awesome um what's another one i another one is Honestly, the the internet, because <laughs> um, I know that there's a lot of people who have t- asked questions, sometimes cynically. I think that's the word, sometimes cynically of like I don't have parents who would ever support me doing that, or I literally one girl said I started a business or I tried starting a business and my dad said it was a waste of money and then actually like ruined my supplies, and mm. after she like already invested in starting it. So there, there, there's there's um, there's people who aren't always in constructive families that are um, supporting their endeavors. And so for me, I I think teachers were really important. And I would start like staying after class and asking questions. Um, Also, the internet was so important. Miss Virginia and I were talking about how we watch many documentaries all the time. And that gets us interested in topics that we may not have watched a whole documentary about, but getting introduced to it in a little way was pretty interesting. And like now I'm thinking about architecture or um, biotech and things that I probably wouldn't have been introduced to. So internet is something that I think a lot more people of our generation have and are on and promoting content of that kind and getting it into our social media feeds um, is also something that's Important. Also, the use of tech in, in the classroom.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Absolutely yeah,
1: right. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm still having to get used to hearing um, someone call me Miss Virginia, but we have <laughs> we have made our way from Miss Cumberbatch to Miss Virginia, so eventually I, I feel like um, I'll, I'll get used to it. But I, I want to follow up on the part that you talked about, which was representation, um, Michaela, because I think again your astuteness to recognize the power of just your visibility in spaces mm-hmm. connected to mm-hmm. students, connected to youth, connected to you're inspiring Megan, myself, and G Mom, right? And we're nowhere near your age, right? So it's not just Be I, for yourself. I, okay, I'm sorry, you're right. G <laughs> Mom is young. G Mom is young um so I, I don't want to make this always about like oh you're inspiring your generation you are an inspiration and your story is an inspiration to, to all and i think it's really important for us to explore not only sort of the phenomenon around you creating this impact driven brand that as you said was birthed out of fear and then curiosity but i think just for us to sit for a moment and also Just explore, acknowledge how there's such power in seeing a young Black girl in such a visible space. I think I have a
0: story about that. Oh, I would love to hear it.
1: I know one of. The first times I got to hear you speak was in Washington, D.C., at the United State of Women conference, which is so crazy because Megan and I and the Rose Rebellion team just partnered with the United State of Women a few months mm-hmm. ago, and you got to interview President Obama. or no, you got to introduce him. Yes. And I remember there was all these reporters around, and President Obama was like, you know, just trying to make her comfortable. And he was like, are you nervous? And he's like, there's quite a few people out there. And you were like, without skipping a beat, so confident, you were like, I mean, I spoke to like 500 people last week. You know, just like, you were just not phased by it at all. And you are now, I think we can announce this, you are the June cover of the Austin Woman magazine. And as a native Austinite, who, a fellow native Austinite who is also a brown skinned black girl, Um, It's really incredible for even me at this age to see you on the cover of that magazine and what that would have meant for me growing up to see someone who looked like me um, in that space. And so I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about it. Sounds like you've got some stories already Mm -hmm. kind of primed. when you think about what it's like to do this work through the lens and the voice of being a black girl, knowing that there isn't that much representation, particularly when we think of brown skin, right? Black girls in media and storytelling in business. Megan and I were just talking about how black women are the least funded in terms of startups and tech. And so how has that reality shaped how you do your work Um, or perhaps even set intention for how you go about doing your work
3: um well for the second question i think i'm just very intentional in what i'm saying and make sure i first in background i do speaking about social entrepreneurship so my mission initially started with i want to save the bees and that was it and then as i grew up, i realized this one idea allowed me to start traveling to make new connections um to speak at different schools and to learn a lot of things that were valuable in life And so i realized hmm and also make a difference make an impact and so i realized social entrepreneurship could be an amazing door for people that i kind of want to help open and so that became a new part of my mission is teaching social entrepreneurship and financial responsibility and so one of those ways that i'm always considering people who look like me is when i'm teaching i i always make sure to make my advice inclusive there's a lot of advice that's not actionable for everyone and not not always accessible and so i always want to make my advice inclusive whether it's making a budget using more options instead of just friends and family showing that, hey, there's things like crowdfunding that's going on. Um, here are some examples of social media fundraisers that were successful. Um, here are some organizations that are donating to um, to startups, to minority startups, whether it's female startups or um, African-American startups. So just considering that I want my business advice to be useful and to actually be accessible is something that I think is important. and. Um, at least the girls who I've taught have found useful. And then regarding representation, that's also a question that I asked. And it's not always hard to answer that as a teenager, but I remember as we bottled the product, our first design of the product was, um, it was mint flavored and it was in a glass bottle with an illustration on my face. And it said Bee sweet Lemonade because that was the name before me and the Bees. And so we got that in to Austin cafes um, and restaurants and I think one hotel and then we rebranded a little bit. We named it Me and the Bees Lemonade. This was after Shark Tank. We named it Me and the Bees. We had a picture of my face and also, you know, some more flavors. And so I remember this actually, I don't remember it at the time, but my parents would tell me this after because I guess they wanted to shield me from that at the time. But there were plenty of retailers, um, businesses, and stores that would say, "Okay, well, we may carry your product if you put your face on the back of the bottle." There were people who were, you know, well intentioned, I guess, saying you'll sell more product if you take your face off the bottle; more people will buy it. Um, and what else? I it was just it was. I'm real and even letters. I, I always wondered why my parents would open up my letters and then give it to me or open up business mail. And it was because there were things like, there were letters that saying, no one's gonna wanna buy your inward juice and, and just like facing a lot of, uh, I guess, backlash because of, because of the fact that I was representing. And so I think, later on the line, I was faced with the choice of, okay, do I want to continue representing myself on this product and on this business, or do I want to stop? And so on the continuing side, I realized here's how many people are writing me letters because they started their own business or because they started their own initiative based on seeing my story. Here's how many people are literally sharing on social media, I saw this brown skin girl. I had to pick a bottle up. You know, I had to support my sisters. Like, like there are people who are literally supporting my business just because of that, just because they want to support black businesses or support young entrepreneurs. And so that completely overshadowed the amount of. I don't know if it was hate, but for I think that's hate, a pretty appropriate word. <laughs> hate based on that, and I realized that that. Um, kind of branding business but this was this i wanted this story and myself to be a part of my brand and so um yeah representation be now my bottle is my face is still on the bottle and i think i can fairly say that people can be like inspired as they're just walking down the aisle of a grocery store which i'm pretty happy to be able to say and people can you know see my bottle flip it around read my story and learn about my business. And so I think the biggest change that I'm making is through my storytelling. I mean, I like looking
1: at Megan, cause we like to like, you know, make eye contact during <laughs> these podcast <laughs> recordings. And I feel like we're both fighting back both the emotion of knowing what it's like to be in positions, right. Where your identity is called into question. It's challenged. Um, and as you said, hate is thrown at it. And, yeah. um, the power of having parents that could intervene and protect not just your spirits and your mind, but protect your vision and your dreams, right? Um, I think it's just such a powerful visual to consider. And there is, there's so much pride when I walk into a Whole Foods or a cookie picky or an H-E-V and I see this um, this lemonade with your face on it, not just as a face. You know, this isn't a no name face. This is a story, a family story. And it's it's beyond
3: powerful. It's interesting because a lot of people are, you are, know, seeing me grow up. Right. So there is, I, I do see I, I can understand that there's a lot of pride in that because they've seen me on Shark Tank or even earlier. They saw me at the um, farmers market. They have seen me speak at their school or something or you know, be interviewed as as like a for like a local TV station or demoing at a local um, cafe or teaching a workshop. So I mean, if you were one of my supporters that early, thank you so much. But also I can understand how, how there's a lot of pride. And so
2: I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, remember, first of all, I'm like, learning a lot from your parents um, as 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 a a new parent thinking about the ways to nurture curiosity and to, um, you know, get your child to go find the answer instead of giving them the answer and how that builds their love of learning and also their self-confidence. Um, but also thinking about the ways in which, you know, people's hate or people's bias and discrimination tries to kind of chip away at who we are and the idea that you were able to at the appropriate age when your parents exposed you to it to be solidified enough in who you were um, to make the decision that you would continue and that it was important that your face and who you are be a part of um, your brand right and to just not give yourself over to Um, people who have decided that capitalism is for certain people and looks a certain way. Um, um, I think that's like super powerful, right? The idea that uh, you were able to make the decision at such a young age when faced with such a tough choice um, is pretty, pretty amazing. But I also know that, you know, which is what your parents knew, which is why they shielded you. Um, You know, the pressure of being who you are wearing all those hats that you talked about, um, you know, having people make comments about just who you are as a person or or your race um, chips away at you, you know, it can be difficult to manage it all and to keep the balls, the balls in the air and to keep yourself intact. So um, you know, a big value of Rosa Rebellion is rest, a big value of Rosa Rebellion is self-care and not this commercialized self-care that, that you know, the industry has made into a capitalistic tool, but real real soul care, taking care of yourself. So tell us, um, especially for the people who are your age, how you take care of yourself um, in the midst of all you have going on and, and the things that are thrown at you.
3: I love that question. Um, My wallpaper on my phone just reminded me of your question and it's like art and then it says just a little reminder that self-care doesn't have to mean um, face masks and bubble baths. It can be getting dressed in the morning, um, calling someone you miss, watering your plants, going for a slow walk, reading a new book, writing a list, painting, resting, or even baking banana bread um whatever your version of self-care looks like um right now be kind to yourself so that's a a little reminder because i don't know i I do a lot of different things for self-care i'm really happy that it's summer and i get to rest and so now i'm doing a lot of those things that i couldn't do during the year and some of them are really small like being able to like go stay on Minecraft for a while, play with my brother, um, dig out my dad's old record player and like go record shopping at Half Price Books, reading all the books on my to be read list, which is pretty long, (laughs) Um, Planning succulents and small pots, um, making Thai sticky rice and mango, like just things like that. That's like, wait,
2: (laughs) that's like real like cuisine, right? When I was your age, I was making like Hot Pockets, (laughs) <laughs> that's not and, cooking and like <laughs> french <worst> fries <laughs> you yep. 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 tell us what you're reading what's what's your book you're reading right now which what's, what's next
3: okay so i just finished reading a book called vicious by Ve schwab and that's like i think it's fantasy or sci-fi or something and then Next, I'm going to read a book called Rejection Proof, which I think is pretty interesting. Someone told me about that downtown, and it's about this person named Gia Jiang, I think, and she pretty much for 100 days asked for things. that would normally be like replied with with a no. So like, hey, can I get these two things on the menu or get it for free? She started small and then she continued asking for bigger things. And so she realized that a lot of people say yes. And as you get more no's, you become less afraid of them. So I'm like, hey, I'm applying for college right now. Um, I gotta, you know, I got to sell myself. And I think this could help with confidence and business and being a student. So I'm reading that next. I'm pretty
2: excited for that. And what every law student should read that. Every like before (laughs) their first like summer interviews, they should read that. (laughs) So yeah, I love that and I love that you're taking care of yourself because like low key, well, actually probably high key when you're talking about like, um, you know, the difficulties and the hate and the letters and stuff like that, I, like legit wanted to fight for you. So like Virginia's making eye contact with me. And I'm like, who are these people? No. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so they
1: live. give us the address.
2: We can pull up. <laughs> so, so your, um, you know, like your ability to maintain joy, uh, it has, has helped my soul after, after hearing some of the hate.
3: Hi, this is Michaela Ulmer, and it's part of my mission, part of my mission, and I have a mission. Okay. Hi, my name is Michaela Ulmer, and I have a mission of saving the bees and also increasing social entrepreneurship. If you want to help support that, um, I have a nonprofit called the Healthy High Foundation where we learn about the bees, research, and educate. And so that is thehealthyhivefoundation.org. I have a lemonade company which is honey sweetened lemonade and we donate a portion to organizations saving the bees and so that is in over 2,300 targets, whole foods, um, HEBs around the country and so if you want to figure out where you can try my lemonade and support you can go to my website which is meandthebees.com and the type in your area. And then lastly, I'm an author. I have a book called Be Fearless, Dream Like a Kid and it's part business guide or I like to say business guide and memoir. And so if you have a future change maker that's in the middle school or even if you want to learn about my story and about tips I learned along the way of growing my business, then you can get it at your local bookstore and learn more about it at meandthebees.com as well. Thank you.
0: Well, one of the things that I'm hearing loud and clear in this interview with you is that at an early age, you have experienced the kind of backlash that Black people experience over and over again. And you've come to terms with it, or you're coming to terms with it, that sometimes the greater your accomplishment, the more you're going to provoke Uh, and the more you're deconstructing somebody's image that they have of you. Uh, And so we talked a little bit about this in our last uh, episode. So you've encountered these in ways certainly supported by your parents. But I think it's building, uh, the greatest act of resistance is to take care of yourself. And that's very important. Uh, And the greatest uh, act for resistance or deconstructing is to not be overcome overwhelmed over impressed by those who try to stoke fear and so i i think that that's in in addition to your wonderful knowledge about entrepreneurship and about science and all those things i think you exemplify and i encourage you to keep nurturing this in yourself the ability to keep going uh even when there's resistance or are uh, people want to characterize you in a certain way, you have a great image of yourself already. And it's, it's full of humility because we know that we're, God has given us um, you know, what we have. Our intelligence is a gift, but it also you have that confidence. And so I'd like to know a little bit more about your interaction with other young people your age, either in school, And people who look like you about your age in school and also outside of school where you're encountering more people who do look like you. So tell me what it feels like to be in this space you have and how does it shape the way you're interacting with people your own age.
3: Well, I think One thing that I don't know if this surprised me, but I was for sure very happy about when interacting with people my age or younger than me on workshops, like we would, you know, come up with the business idea, is how eager people are to give back. Like, that's, I remember doing, like, trying to do things like this with adults sometimes, and I Like the business ideas were completely different like for kids. It was more on the side of nonprofit, but we need to make money to keep going and it was completely automatic. Like the first thing that I would do this activity where they came up with ideas and there were four pillars. One is fix, So find a problem in the world that you want to solve and you can make an idea based on that. The next one is interests. So um what's something that you're interested in? What's a hobby that you have and that you actually enjoy doing? The next one is tea trends. So what's something that's trendy or popular and that you can build off of? And then last one is skills. So something that maybe you've practiced that, trained for, and that could be like photography or baking, etc. And so Kids would have the option of doing any one of these, starting a business based on something they're interested in, something trendy right now, something that they're good at. And so, like a large majority of the time, they would go straight to the fix a problem, like plastics in oceans, the homelessness problem in my neighborhood. And they were automatically thinking of how can I help other people or help the community that I live in or communities that others live in. I heard this story from my friend and I want to help solve it. So I am I'm pretty inspired by that and realizing that, hey, like this, this social aspect didn't it wasn't necessarily taught like we were we want to give back. And so if I can, you know, inspire them to, you know, take their these problems that they want to fix and actually um, start something in order to fix it, I think that we'd be in a much better place. So taking the idea of like businesses, businesses, business. We're not going to invest in you unless you're reinvesting all your profit or um, unless you're not social and com- like completely for profit. Taking that idea and realizing that, hey, Gen Z wants to support in businesses that are doing good. People want to start businesses that are doing good and maybe shifting the value or the expectation of what a business is. And I think that's starting with kids because
0: kids are doing that automatically. So I have one last question. How do you see some of this movement that you see and desire among young people? So if you were advising, um, as I teach teachers, uh, how would you advise changes in curriculum? Uh, to be more reflective of the spirit that you see in young people. Um, and so maybe you just have two recommendations for uh, a change in school curriculum that you think could facilitate and promote this interest and drive that young people have almost seemingly as you describe it, as they have naturally. Uh, how could schools cultivate that more and you have a couple of recommendations for school curriculum.
3: Yes, so the first one is is more from my experience Um, and it's let the kids organize and like listen to the kids' voices and give them a space to voice them. And so at my school, we started a club called Curriculum, or the student body started a club called Curriculum Advocacy Alliance. And so it's where we work with different departments like history, English, math, and figure out, hey, how can we, you know, increase diversity? And so it's it's student run completely. And then we meet with teachers and say, okay, how can we help you help us and, you know, feel more welcome in this space and more supported? And so I think a lot of there's a lot of teachers who learned something from us that they mm-hmm. that they didn't exactly know or realize mm-hmm. and they're able to use that like we're giving them suggestions so students are really are so willing to give suggestions mm-hmm. and that's what that's what we're doing and then now they have things that they can actually implement so um i think realizing that i i'm in high school by the way so <laughs> you know <laughs> A small, small caveat that just makes yeah. everything that just
1: was said more
3: amazing. <laughs> Maybe not second graders or like kindergartners, but that when when we have a space to, I guess, inspect the classrooms that we're in, we come up with some pretty cool stuff or pretty, mm, I don't know if it's cool, but things that we can that we can actually take action on. So that's the first one, and then the second one is. As regarding entrepreneurship, where just edits in the curriculum, I'm working on that right now as well. So I have a nonprofit called the Healthy High Foundation, and I started in 2016. And so the The goals of that are research, education and protection, and so for the education part we're trying to figure out a kind of like a mini curriculum that teachers can use in like middle school and elementary school. That's one week long and it's like 20 minutes every single day and it talks about the bees, but it's also about stem and entrepreneurship and so we're we're still trying to figure that out, and I think if you're a teacher if you I guess want to know how your kid or student can use this then I would say stay tuned and (laughs) and we'll let you know when when we have some more tips or when this curriculum is ready but yes we're working on it
1: I feel like this is one of those episodes where we'll be reflecting and just saying how much we learned right in conversation (laughs) right (laughs) this is (laughs) less of an interview and more of just an incredible opportunity to to learn um, in community. And, you know, one of the things I feel like has resonated with me throughout our conversation today is I feel like I always give credit to my parents and both sides of my grandparents about how they instilled in me that idea you talked about earlier, which is to give, That we come from a place of generosity, come from a place of, um, of, of service, right? In all that we do, no matter what our vocation is, and I always talk about how my parents modeled this integrative life. Like, you're going to be a lawyer, but you're, the, the way you approach the world of, of law, right, is around how you're making your community better, more equitable. For my mother, through art and media, through my grandmother, through education. So that was always instilled with me. But I feel like I owe Jennifer and Ashton Cumberbatch a shout out for also instilling in me the spirit of creative creativity and entrepreneurship, because it was a joke growing up every summer. I was going to figure out a way to make money. Mm -hmm. I had not just lemonade stands, so go back to the lemonade stands, but I would upcharge people to add strawberry or blueberry like additions into it. And then I think I started making these marbleized uh, eggs where, Mm -hmm. you know, you like take out the yolk and then you use like melted crayon and I would sell them by the dozen during Easter. And I made like $300, like the week of Easter Sunday. And my <laughs> parents would always support me, help me set up the you know, table. And I just think back on that now, just hearing your story and as Megan said, the ways in which your parents, I think, have created such a beautiful dynamic of parenting. And I just wanted to give a shout out to, to Jennifer and Ashton Cumberbatch for the things that they inspired in me.
2: Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, there's so much similarity um, around all of our stories. Um, you know, like, I remember like growing up as a kid, you know, the ways in which my parents instilled benevolence and that, you know, you show up in the world in in a posture of giving, you know, and that, um, like, literally, my parents were pretty loose. I'm the youngest of six. So by the time they got to me, I think they were a little tired. And so And so they were they were a little bit looser um, on on certain things um, with with me and my sister right above me. But one of the few ways that we could actually really get in trouble was to be selfish, um, did not want to to build selfish kids. And so we always knew um, that we had to have open hands with everything. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that that's such a key value to give to your kids. And I see it in Gen Z, like all over the place. You're like, y'all are not just building brands or being entrepreneurs or YouTubers or whatever, right? Like your generation is finding a way to integrate um, social impact with, with business and entrepreneurship. Um, and I think it's like so beautiful to see. And I just love being in conversation with you. I've spent this whole time mostly smiling, which is not normally my posture because I'm normally i'm very angry (laughs) about inequity and and the state of the world but um, i feel like you know we're in good hands with people like you leading the the next generation but i also hope that y'all don't feel this overwhelming pressure to solve all the world's problems that y'all did not create um to know that you know we can go forward together um, and that you have support I think is is really, really important. And so I just thank you. This was like super refreshing for me. I'm like, oh, this was great <laughs> to, to talk to you and to be um, inspired by you. So um, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you. Uh,
0: it's been good dialogue and in dialogue, there's not just one learner and one teacher and equal, but it's reciprocal. Uh, we're all learning in this space that we just created and you played such a major part in that Michaela of reciprocal learning um teaching us as we share our ideas that's how new knowledge is constructed in the world and I just encourage you to go forth with that that you always have something to teach and you always have something to learn uh, that's what I said literally I'll be
3: it would be, that's what my parents always said. I would be nervous to do workshops
0: mm-hmm. uh,
3: about the bees, like at grocery stores, mm-hmm. to kids who were older than me. And my mm-hmm. parents are like, they may not know as much about the bees as you do. You always have something to that's teach.
0: Right. To so, So thank you for a good teaching and learning experience today. Thank you. And also, you know, that goes
3: both ways.
0: So thank you. That's right. It's reciprocal.